This is Radiance Tape number JD83, a message by Jim Durkin entitled, Withhold Not Correction from Your Child. I want to say something about child discipline. There are many theories on discipline. And we've just gone through about 20 years of theory on discipline, which says the less discipline, the better. As a matter of fact, frankly, no discipline is best of all. And, of course, we're reaping the results of that now in a generation of people that do not know their left hand from their right. They don't know good or bad. They don't know where to turn. They don't have any sense of values. Until the Lord came into the lives of many, they simply didn't know where they were going. They kept looking for answers. So the trouble with theories of discipline is this. You never find out for 20 years whether they're right or wrong. And then it's too late. So my counsel to you is do not invent theories of discipline. Go back to the Word of God for your instruction, your understanding, your direction. And apply God's truth. Because there's certain things, and I wish every one of you would hear carefully these things that I'm going to say about discipline. The purpose of discipline is not primarily to make an obedient child. And the purpose of discipline is not primarily to make a child that fits into the home without rocking the boat. And the purpose of discipline is not to create a child with a sweet personality. The purpose of discipline is to bring into the world a son and a daughter of God, vigorous, strong, knowing who and what they are so they can do the work that God has called them to do and express the gifts that God has placed in them. Now, you see, it's not necessarily difficult to produce an obedient child. You can do it by, frankly, clobbering the daylights out of them, and they'll get to where they're obedient and subservient, Maybe they'll stay that way all of their life. Maybe they won't, too. Maybe when they get out from under your control, they'll just zoom, just go completely haywire. But I say to you, what we're aiming at is not an obedient child in merely the sense of slavish obedience. What we're looking for is a son and a daughter of God who can give intelligent obedience, intelligent submission, intelligent relationship. One in whom every child and every parent must look upon their children this way. That in that child is one or more great gifts. Gifts that God intends should he tarry. And remember, it doesn't matter whether he tarries or not. The gift to go on being developed and come to fruit, wherever it may be. But gifts that he intends to express his life through those gifts. And you must constantly be praying to God... And observing your child, you must ask God for insight to know for what purpose God has put that child into the earth. And then do your best to develop the child along those lines. Now, raising children is not an easy matter. And I'm not going to tonight give you a 20-minute or a two-hour lecture by which all of the problems of discipline and child raising are going to be solved. 
I can only tell you that I've learned some of those truths the hard way by mismanaging the raising of my own children. Although I did enough things right, and mostly God's grace covered, and I repented soon enough of my folly that I was able to apply the truth of God's word to my children, that today, even though they've been scarred and wounded, yet God has healed those scars and wounds, and today they're walking with God. What I want you to have is these little tykes that are in your control. God has given them to you as a blessed gift and a stewardship. I want to see if God should tarry, if our Lord should tarry, that every of them will come up to be a solid follower of our Lord Jesus Christ in the forefront of this battle, carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And they'll have no other desire except to love and to serve him. Now, isn't that really what you want? It's not just, well, I want an obedient child, and when I tell it, I want you to go out here and do this, it does it, and when I say, come here, you come, and when I say, you do this, see, you might produce that kind of a child, and that seems like, on the surface, obedience. But it's not obedience. It's not the kind of obedience we want. We want to develop in that child a thinking obedience that's total, that's complete, and yet it's intelligent. And if we can do that, believe me, we'll be assured of a strong generation of children that become the adults of tomorrow. And that's what I'm aiming at. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures out of the Bible. This speaks about wicked children. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. This is Proverb 10.1. The Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Proverbs 13.1. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Proverbs 15.5.20. A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Now, therefore, it speaks of a father then giving reproof and a father giving instruction. I want you to notice that even when the Bible is talking about something negative, it's still talking about something positive. God is always this way. So try and hear what he's saying. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Proverbs 17, 2, a wise servant shall have rule over a son that causes shame. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. Proverbs 17, 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. If you were to read the book of Proverbs, you would find many that would say the same thing. Now, I want to read to you about what the Bible has to say about a good son. Or a good child. First Samuel 3.19, the Lord is with good children. Their obedience is well-pleasing to God. That would be Colossians 3.20. Acts 2.39 would indicate that they partake of the promises of God. Proverbs 3.1-4 says they shall be blessed. Genesis 46.29 indicates they show love to their parents and obey their parents. That would be stated also Genesis 28.7, 47.30, so forth and so on. Also, they take care of their parents, Genesis 45.9-11, 47.12, Matthew 15.5. They make their parents' heart glad. They honor the aged, so forth and so on. 
Proverbs 10.1, a wise son maketh a glad father. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son heareth his father's instruction. Proverbs 15.5, he that regardeth reproof is prudent. A wise son maketh a glad father. Proverbs 28.7, whoso keepeth the law is a wise son. Now the question is then, how are we going to bring our children to receive their instruction from the word of God? That's really what we're saying. Whoso keeps the law of God, that's a wise son. And a wise son maketh a glad father. See, not merely an obedient son. Son, get me coffee. Son, put cream in it. Son, two spoons of sugar. Stir it up. Put the spoon down. Bring it here. Say thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, that would be, you know, say, wow, man, that child really obeys. No, that child has had his mind taken away. See, he can no longer act without orders. We're trying to bring a child where he's able to be innovative, creative, able to move with confidence in the things of God so that he understands what needs to be done and he's able to move and do it. See, we could create a much less hassled type of ministry if we would try to create a group of people that are utterly slavishly obedient. Get up, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, stop, turn to the right, move three paces forward, climb over the stool, sit down, breakfast will be served in two minutes. Eat. Eat. Now, this is the kind of obedience that some parents think they should impose upon their children. I tell you, this is not good for the child. The aim, then, of your discipline is to create in your son and your daughter a son or a daughter who wants to receive instruction, that yearns to sit at his father's feet and his mother's feet and say, teach me. One to whom you have opened up your heart in such a way that they say, that's my father, that's my mother. Oh, they know everything. Even though you tell them, well, I don't really know very much at all, son, daughter, but I get it all out of this wonderful book. I want to read to you, so and so. Oh, what does that mean, mother? What does that mean, father? Well, it means this and that, and you take time to break it down so... They can understand it. Say, wow, yeah. What we're talking about in our school is teaching our children the principles of God's Word so they will be intelligently obedient. They would not get that in a public school. A public school is interested in obedience. They want them to be able to add up a column of figures because then they've done their job. I tell you, we've not done our job until we produce the godly adult then we've done our job. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs now. Read along with me. I want you to try and get the spirit of what Proverbs is saying. Then we'll also look at Ephesians and Colossians, capture what it's saying. Proverbs, the 13th chapter, 24th verse. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him 
betimes. Now, that means from time to time. Now, it doesn't mean every time a child does something wrong, clobber them, because that would not be right. But on the other hand, it means when the child needs the rod, and sometimes every child needs the rod. There may be some exceptions to it, but I really have not seen those exceptions. And most of the parents that state this, you may find a child so delicate in emotional nature that you say, don't do that, and they just literally come apart at the seams, fall over, and so forth and so on. Maybe this would be so that there would be no necessity of a rod. Rod doesn't always mean beating them. But I tell you, physical restraint is necessary sometimes with practically every child that I've ever seen. Every child. The reason is that there are times when two things will prevail. One, the child knows you are saying don't do something. And it's an absolutely necessary thing for that child sometimes to learn words like stop. Don't do that. Don't touch that. It's very necessary for the child to learn that. I have seen children running for a street with cars running up and down it. Let me tell you sometime it may be the difference between life and death that you're able to say to that child, stop, and for it to stop. Not to say, well, why should I stop? I'm having a good time. And I'm just going to... No, there are times when a child must learn simple commands that when you say, don't do that, it stops that. Don't touch that, it doesn't do it. It may be ready to pull over a pot of acid on its head. It may be ready to turn over a red-hot kettle on itself. And you say, stop. And it stops because it trusts you that much. Sometimes it may be that a child is so headstrong, and you'll find this many times, that it's determined to do it anyhow. Now, sometimes you will let a child go ahead and do it, not only with little children, but babes in Christ. They must be allowed to make their own mistakes. I've instructed you married couples that wives must allow husbands to make mistakes. It must also be true of husbands allowing wives to have the luxury of making mistakes also. Husbands must be allowed to make mistakes because they're never going to learn a sense of right judgment unless they do. A child is never going to learn a sense of right judgment unless he does. has the luxury of making some mistakes. You correct him and say, now, here's why this was a mistake. Try to do this. He tries to do it. He fails. You don't come all down on him. You show him why that was wrong. Sometimes the best thing to do is to let him get himself in a little trouble and then he learns that's a different way of utilizing the rod. But I want to get one thing in your hearts now, in your minds. Don't get it in your mind that there's no place for the rod in disciplining a child. It is my personal experience, and as far as you can trust mine, you'll have to listen to what I'm saying tonight. There is a way of raising a child in which you totally never use any physical restraint at all. You continually, endlessly reason with the child, reason with the child, reason with the child, always hoping to get it into a place where it'll finally accept reason. But I've noticed this, that when that child is finally raised, you get the child to the place where it is so sweet, so good, that that's our idea of godliness. That a sweet child is the answer to everything. And so here we have this godly child raised up. It's 20 years old, and it walks into church and stands there 
Oh, here's sweet Jimmy Durkin. Come here, sweet Jimmy. Yes, pastor. Sweet Jimmy, you have been coming to church now for 20 years, and you never missed the Sunday, and you never said a a loud word to anybody, and we're going to give you a reward, our sweet Jimmy button. Thank you, Pastor. And he goes, but something is missing in that child's spirit that is going to enable that child, and I'll tell you this for sure, that's going to enable that child to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's some place in that child's life where it needed to understand physical restraint. Now, every child will go through this. And if you are thinking to raise your child, if you made up your mind to raise your child without ever laying a hand on him, then believe me, you're entering a theory of discipline that I can only tell you you're going to have trouble with it, and serious trouble, but you're not going to find it out for 20 years, and then you're going to be sorry, and it's going to be too late. There's a time to enforce discipline and explain later on. Now, that's the point that I'm making. So if you let the child just continue doing anything he wants, hoping to explain, 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 that child will never get to the place where it simply trusts because that's mother and that's father. There must be a point where that child says, yes, sir, and doesn't go in and say, well, I don't know if I will or not, Dad. I... um." I'd like an explanation, please. <laughs> well, son, uh, this, that, and this, that. Mother, what could you say? Well, I feel this and that. Well, okay. okay. See, now, if the child has that kind of a spirit, then you're going to say to it, Son, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Lord says that. Okay, God. Prove it. Now, you're saying, well, no one ever say that to God. I'm telling you, people say that to God all of their lifetimes. And you never can get them to simply submit to what the Lord says. And I'll tell you something, for whatever it's worth to you, that God has used physical restraints on me more than once. He's blasted my little seat when I needed it, and he's done it pretty hard, and I knew it was God, and there was no question about it in my mind. If you can take these scriptures, then... And realize just in your own mind, I just want you to get a thought in your mind, there is a place for physical restraint. There's a place for saying to a child, don't do that. And then if the child goes ahead and does it anyhow, you might say one more time, now it may be that you didn't understand me, or it may be that you didn't hear me. So I'm telling you just this one more time. Don't do that. And then if he does it the third time, moves again the second time, disobedience, pick him up and say, and believe me, if you are consistent, so the child knows that when you speak, your word means, see, someone comes to me and says, Jim, can I do this? The guy goes away and says, what did he say? I I think he said yes. No, I think he said no. Well, I think he said, uh, I think, Jim, can I do this? Yes. Jim, can I do this? No. What did you mean by no? I meant no. Oh, you meant no. Oh, you meant no. Now, if your child learns that no means no, stop means stop, yes means yes, I'm pleased means I'm pleased, I'm displeased means I'm displeased, and that's a very dangerous phrase if he learns that, then the child very quickly comes to have 
a very high regard for, and hear it carefully, please, a very high regard for your word. Now, that's going to be very important to teach the child to have a high regard for whose word? God's word. That this book means what it says. I've got some friends not, not too far away, and we finally had to stop going to visit them. Because we'd sit in the room, and there were several children in this household, and they'd be tearing up things, just screaming, and... And pretty soon the father would say, You kids are not! You're about to your doing! I'm coming out and preach you tonight! See? And I was waiting for this mayhem to start, you know. And he turns around to me, and... And the kids... This drove me insane. You know, I said, why do you tell them something like that for? Establish early in your relationship to your child that you love it. Tell your child, I love you. And then express that in some physical, open, clear way. Do something to show it. Pay attention. Sit down and listen. I say that I only wished I could have learned this with my young children. I have learned it with my spiritual children. Some people say, well, man, when you've got big business and somebody comes up to you, some new convert or something, they say, can I talk to you for a minute? I say, well, yeah, I've got a minute. Say, yeah, I've got time to listen. Because maybe sometime later I'm going to be coming up to that young person or older person and say, I'm going to have to talk to you. I want you to listen. And somehow if I've established a relationship of listening to them, they open up and they listen to me. And if I've established that my word means what it says, that yes means yes and no means no, then they hear what I have to say. And they say, he said, and then that's what that means. Now, I've had to learn this the hard way. I'm not trying to tell you I knew it all because I didn't know it all. I've had to learn through the most grievous errors, the most serious omissions, to speak in plain language. Because if you don't teach that child that yes means yes and no means no, when he reads this, the soul that sinneth, he shall surely die, he'll say, no, I don't believe that. If you do this, I don't believe that. This thing will happen if, I don't believe that. Go into all the world, I don't believe that. Don't do this, I don't believe that. That's the spirit that will exist in your child. It must be developed early that everyone that deals with your child, and in this ministry, that's the whole family, that everyone that deals with your child will have that same honorableness and consistency of behavior that yes means yes and no means no. Don't ever tell your child something and then go back on your word. Think before you speak. Don't ever let your child provoke you, and I'm going to say this carefully, get your temper under control. Don't let your child provoke you into an injudicious statement. It's a serious thing. It's proper to apologize if you've made a mistake, you made an error. But I'm going to say to you, it's a serious thing that your child is provoking you, and you say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Your privileges are going to be taken away from you for six months. That statement is dynamite. You're either going to have to go through with that, and that might be a punishment altogether out of line with what the child really did, and you never would have said it at all if you hadn't have been angry. 
Or the other thing is you're going to have to go back and say, well, I made a mistake. You do that enough times that you're attacking the child when you're angry, and then you're backing off saying, well, I made a mistake. The child is never going to know at what level to take you. So I'm going to say you get yourself in control, and when you see your child acting, you say, now, Lord, I want your calmness of spirit, because I'm going to deal with that child. And then in the most calm thing that you can possibly develop, I want to say that I don't ever, when I see a person out of line, and I know that I have to deal, sometimes an action will take place here, and I'll have to wait sometimes for hours or sometimes even days in some cases before I'll go and deal with that situation. Now, you don't have to wait days when you're dealing with your child because your anger passes carefully. But I've seen some sins that grown-up children have committed, and it so stirred my spirit that I was in no way able to deal with that situation at that moment because I had to get my spirit calm and say, what did he really do? What did he understand? What did he understand of right or wrong? And then I have to deal with that situation. Keep your spirit calm when you deal that you don't make those silly, injudicious statements. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Now, you remember that statement, and you keep it in mind that that's foolishness is bound in the heart of 82% of the children. Right? What do you think that scripture means? That's right. Foolishness is bound in the heart of all children. It's bound in their heart. But the rod of correction will drive it far from it. See? Now, sometimes we take that only as a rod. It might take the rod. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And also, I might say cleverness is bound, shrewdness is bound, trickiness is bound. All of that's tied up in the word foolishness, according to the Bible's illustration. All right? The mother comes in, and the child does something. And the mother says, don't do that. That isn't a good thing for you to do. And the father's standing there, and he says, oh, Mabel, leave him alone. That's all right. He can do that. Well, now, I just told him not to do it. I know you did, but I'm, I'm king in this house, and I'm telling you to let him do it. Oh, all right. Now, you've just taught the child a potent object lesson. You know what you taught the child? You did not teach the child to obey. You taught the child to do what? Con. That's a good word. He just sits there and looks at father and mother and says, well, I see something interesting here, that if I want my way, mother tells me no, but if I can work daddy, yeah. Then maybe the next time it is that mother's laying for daddy. And so daddy says, John, don't do that. Joe, you're being awfully hard on little Johnny. <laughs> Let him do that. See? Then the husband has to say, well, <laughs> well, sure, Johnny, do that. Or he has to say, I'm in charge here, when I say don't do it, I mean don't do it. See? Oh, yes. Well, sure. Hey, you with your big fist and your big voice, you can make us do anything, right? Yes, Johnny. <laughs> now the child learns even further to say, ha ha, I see. These two, see what it teach him? Now this is what we teach our children. Now let me teach you a secret. And this is one thing I think if anything ever helped us to get our children raised rightly, this one thing was it. We made a rule among ourselves, my wife and I, that no matter, no matter which one disciplined the child, no action would be taken by the other one in the presence of that child. That we simply would take that child 
and whatever the mother did said, don't do that, I would wait. I would wait until we were out of that situation and sit down with Daisy and say, Daisy, I think we were a little hard there. I think maybe we should allow him to do that in the future. Now, if we really agreed among ourselves, or if I had to say I really feel that should be done, then my wife would listen to me. It would be up to her to go back to the child and say, you know, John or James or Joy, we've been thinking it over, and I think in the future I'm going to let you do that. But the child never got the idea that when one word was spoken by one, it could ever be changed by the other. Never could be done. Speak to the other, but say, what did your mother tell you? Well, she said this. Well, then that's what you do. See? Then we get off here privately and discuss the matter, and if it really should be changed, it was up to the same party to go back and say, you know, we've been thinking this over, and now you can do it. The Bible says, speaking of those men who will be elders, and it's really speaking of the whole Christian character, it says that the man who is to be an elder is to have his family in submission to him, his children not accused of riot or unruly. There's only one way that can take place. That both the father and the mother never are divided in front of that child. That if they have any differences, they discuss them privately. You do use the rod if you have to use the rod. You use reproof if you have to use reproof. You use rebuke if you have to use rebuke. But above all things, when you tell a child something, make it mean what you say. Yes is yes, no is no, do it is do it, and don't do it is don't do it. And never deviate from that practice. I just want to finish reading these scriptures, and then I want to bring the last one out that has to do with the faith vision, because all of these scriptures are negative, but I want to get them out of the way first, and then we'll deal with the positive aspects of it. Turn now, please, to Proverbs 19, verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his cry. Now, many people say that they cannot chasten their son or their daughter because it disturbs them and makes them sick inside. But I'm going to say the Bible is saying, let not your soul spare for his cry. Chasten thy son while there is yet hope. You remember what I told you about most people have theories of child discipline, but you'll never find out for 20 years whether they're right or wrong, and then that's too late. All right? Proverbs 22:15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, let's turn to it. Verse 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Doesn't mean that every time the child does something wrong, you pick up a club and beat him. 14th verse. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. There is a place for physical correction. But it's not when every little thing that he does is wrong, you then start pounding away on him. That's not necessary. Sometimes if you really let your word, just the intonation of your voice is enough to stop a child in his tracks, I can tell you that. Proverbs 29, verse 15. You'll see the purpose here of the rod and reproof. Proverbs 29, verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. 
Now turn with me to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We'll start with the first verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother. And this is something which must, of course, be taught to a child, but it's speaking to a child which is old enough to understand the word of God. Honor thy father and mother. That must be an attitude of the child. Our sons, especially my oldest son, went through a period of time. I don't know how long this is going on when I heard him refer to his mother as the old lady. And the old lady's in there, and she's, uh, i tell you something, when that attitude, if it is not stopped, it's death to the son. It was stopped. And now the child, although he's a grown man, refers to his mother as mother or mom, and me as father or dad. And that's a title of respect and honor. And I will always be there all of his days and all of their days, because that honor thy father and mother is deep now in their spirit. Now, you may decide that you're going to make of your child a buddy-buddy. You should be a friend. You should be a buddy. But not to the extent that the child loses that sense of respect that every father must generate in the home. Papa must be Papa. Just like in this ministry. It's right, and I want you to call me Jim. Because I don't want to get into that Brother Durkin, meaning Mr. Durkin or Reverend Durkin. I want you to call me Jim. That is my name. I'm a brother. But in a certain sense of the word, being an apostle, having a special relation to you, I'm like your spiritual father, and my wife is like your spiritual mother. And I always maintain and always will maintain that certain sense of respect that must be there in the ministry. I'm Papa, and there's a difference. My wife is Mama, and there's a difference. And it must be there. You raising your children, your children must always understand that your Papa and Mama or Dad and Mom or father and mother, whichever is convenient, and that attitude of honor and respect must be there. And you can establish it in your child by letting your word, your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes and your language be clear and being honest and fair with your children. At first they'll, oh man, <laughs> but pretty soon they get over that and they have a deep and abiding respect for you because they know that you're a person of your word. See, children are just like children everywhere. You're children to me. Your children are children to you. It's a relative situation, really. And I'm simply saying that if you're honorable, your integrity is real, that that'll be known sooner or later. You see, there's no reason. I want to point this out to you. And I'm not holding myself up as an example like Christ is, but in a way, I am an example to you. Now, my life is filled with all kinds of goof-ups. Occasionally, I have to get up and apologize and say, man, I made a big goof, and uh, I misjudged that, and so forth and so on. I don't do that too often, but still it's there. There are times I have to apologize to people individually. And yet, in spite of all of that, I can tell you, to you, I'm a father. And I can say, like Paul, the things you've seen and learned and heard of me do, and the God of peace will be with you because I try to be honest, I try to act with integrity toward you. And I stand by what my convictions are, because that's all I know how to do. I don't vacillate. I'm not this today and that tomorrow and this today and that tomorrow. Now, you've got to sit down and think about what's right for your child. 
and you've got to impart that spirit that you care for that child. And even though the child doesn't agree with you, doesn't understand what you're saying, somehow it gets the feeling that daddy loves me, mama loves me, and they only want what's good for me. And if you can impart that spirit to them, and your word means what it says, then believe me, a spanking will make them love you the more. The rod and reproof will give them wisdom. They'll relate to you. They'll be proud of you. They'll honor you and respect you. And then when it comes time to transfer that to God, about the third or fourth or fifth year of their life, they'll see God through you, mother and daddy, and say, oh, that's what God's like. Now, that isn't what God's like because you're full of mistakes and so am I. But that'll be the transference that they can make. And then they'll be introduced to Jesus and he'll begin to reveal what the Father is really like. And in revealing what he's like, he'll be ever more clear how blessed they are to have a good father and a good mother in you. Now, what you have to do, and sometimes you'll see it when I come around to your house and I pick up your babies, even when they're only two weeks old. And if it's a boy, I'll hold that baby in my arms and say, you mighty man of God, Jesus loves you, and you're going to be a mighty warrior of the cross. Now, I know intellectually that child does not understand what I'm saying. I know that. But I believe spiritually something is imparted to that child by that faith vision. And I think one of the most damaging things I ever did to my children while they were small, which I say has been corrected now by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, is that the vision I imparted to my children was one of total negativity about themselves. I use words like, you guys are like a wrecking crew. I turn you loose in here and inside of five minutes, you can destroy what has taken me 20 years to build up. Say, well now there's a good vision to give your children about themselves. You know, dad, takes 20 years to build it up, and in only five minutes we, the wrecking crew, can destroy it. See? Then it can get even more vicious. Children bring home papers from school. Now, we all know that 75% is passing, but it's barely passing. 70% you'll get through if you don't have too many of those. But we want 90s, 95s, and 100s with gold stars across the top and the paper saying, very good, because that makes us look like a good parent who knows how to impart wisdom and knowledge to our children. They, and so the child comes home with a paper that's got a thumbprint on it here, and this is not so clean, and it says, D minus. What? Can't you learn anything in school? And on and on with that. You're stupid. Oh, when I was your age. How many of you ever said anything like that when I was your age? How many never said anything like that? How many never said anything at all? No, I've demonstrated to my child, when I was his age, I was many times stronger. I want to show you something here, if I can help it. And the fact is, I was strong, physically. I did get good grades. It just happened to fit into my style of thinking. See? When I was your age, I could work twice as long as you. When I was your age, I got good grades. 
When I was your age, nobody pushed me around. When I was your age, I... In all of your life, you've got a child that's going to do one of two things, unless God heals him. You've got a child that's going to do one of two things. Either feel utterly inferior to everyone and everything, such that he's, I'm no good, everybody's better than me, I'm just nothing at all. Now, you may say, well, that's a humble attitude. No, that's not a humble attitude. That's a smashed attitude. Humble is this. Let not a man think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I know what I can do, and here's what I can do. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Amen? Now, that's what I want my child to know. Now, that's one side, one type of child come forward to, I'm just a nothing man. I can't do nothing. I never will be able to do nothing, because I, that's one. Then the other type is, child stands there and says, oh man, one day dad, I'm going to be bigger than you and I'm going to be stronger and I'm going to be smarter and I'm going to make more money and you're going to admit it. And you started that child wanting to compete with you, outrun you, outdistance you, shame you. And that's no relationship for father and son, mother and daughter. You understand the things kind of I'm talking to you about? See, I'm really summing it up, although I'm giving you a lot of things. I'm really summing up the word love. Love doesn't put a person down. Love doesn't cheapen a person. Love is honest. Love is clean. Love is consistent. Love does what it has to do. It doesn't do what it wants to do. See, oh, I don't want to say anything to my child because then it might not like me. Don't think I haven't had that attitude many times with many of the young people that have come to me and I see them do something wrong and boss say, man, I don't want to go to them because they may get all blown out of me and not like me. Or that maybe they're already half blown out and if I go and say something again, they're going to leave and then they're going to, you know, what will happen then? But one thing I've learned is to go to them and speak the truth. And it may be that they'll get blown out at you. It may be that they'll leave. But I've had all too many of them come back after six days, six months, or six weeks and walk back on the ranch or walk back in the church or walk back to my house and say, Jim, I just flat out tell you I blew it. And I went away from you. I didn't listen to what you told me. And I went out there in that world and, man, it hit me and hit me hard. And now I'm back here to learn. I say, come on, welcome back, son. We'll go to work again. And some of those people are out preaching the gospel today because they finally listen. Now then, I want to impart to you this last thing, and I've left it last for a reason. I want you to impart these principles that your child can do something, that you see your child as a gift from God, that you see your child and sit down and tell it. Daughter, God has placed gifts in you, and I see some of them now, but I don't see all of them. And I know that you are this, and then you take the virtuous woman, Proverbs 31, and you begin to read it to that young lady. Or you read the stories about the men of God and the great things that they've done, and say, I see this in you. 
and I know this is what you're going to be like. And I'll tell you something. Some of you say, well, my child is only six months old. How can I do that? Well, all right, you don't have to worry about that too much if they're six months old. But I'm going to tell you something. It'd be good practice to sit down and read beside the bedside of your child laying there when it's just six months old and read it the story of David and Goliath. Read the story of the great men of God. And after you've read those stories, look at that child and say, Father, I thank you that this is the kind of son or daughter that you've given me. And then speak to that child and say, I know of a certainty that you are this kind of son and you are this kind of daughter. And begin to project that faith picture to that child. Never let it get away from that. If it does something wrong, say, I know what kind of a son you are. And now you're acting a little bit different from this vision. I'm going to have to correct you in this matter. But I want you to know that this is the kind of son you are. And you keep implanting that vision in that child, no matter what you see contrary to it. And I'll tell you this. Let me give you the scripture. You train up a child in the way it should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen.